Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. As we start this morning, I again would like to thank all of you for the opportunity that my family and I had last week to enjoy uh, vacation. It was certainly a uh, time of relaxation. We enjoyed our time together, and we do not take uh, for granted that you extend us that opportunity to go on vacation each year. I also want to thank you uh, because I'm your pastor. I, I want to thank you because I hear people talk about vacation and they talk about getting away from, from work for a week. And for me, vacation isn't about getting away uh, from work for a week. It truly is about enjoying time with my family. But even when I'm gone, I can't wait to get back. And so I, wanted, I couldn't wait to get here and preach this morning. That being said, I got two weeks worth of messages to preach in one week. So just uh, buckle up and forget about lunch. But um, I want to call attention to a few things this morning before we get started, though. Uh, one, if you haven't been through these doors yet, um, I want to call your attention that if you go through these doors, you're going to see some drywall dust. You're going to see some plastic. Project Renew has begun in our education wing, and it is going uh, extremely well so far. They are, they are moving ahead of schedule even, which for those of you involved in construction very much, uh, you'll learn that we'll be behind schedule before long. But for now, we're ahead of schedule just a little bit. Uh, but that being said, with the renewal and the refreshing of our education wing, there are going to be some growing pains attached to that. Sunday school classes are going to have to move. Wednesday night classes move around. Uh, the restrooms right here off the sanctuary will not be available for a week or two, but there are restrooms in the fellowship hall. Uh, just follow the ramp down to the fellowship hall and you can get to those. Uh, so for a few weeks, it's going to be a little different, uh, but it will be well worth it in the end uh, when we have a, a refresh uh, paint and flooring and, and drywall and all kinds of things going on down there. I'm very excited uh, for what that's going to look like when we're done. Um, also, in the way of announcements, I'd like to, uh, to just mention uh, two, two more things and then we'll preach, I promise. One is our marriage retreat, July 21st through 23rd. And for some reason, I just feel like I need to mention this. So the last day to sign up was technically last Sunday and then we extended it to Wednesday. Um, but for some reason, I feel like that there is a couple in this church that didn't sign up for some reason. They couldn't decide if they wanted to go. And I want to extend that opportunity to you. I want you to pray about it. I want you to come talk to me about it. If you think I didn't sign up, I wasn't sure if I could go. I didn't know if I needed to go. I didn't know if it was for me. If you are married, it's for you. So that's how you quantify if it's for you. If you're married, the trip is for you, July 21st through 23rd in Gatlinburg. If you can't afford the $150, don't worry about the $150. We've got someone that'll, that has stepped up and said they'll take care of that for you. Come see me today. We have a slot that is open for the marriage retreat. If somebody needs to go that didn't sign up. So come see me. Please come see me today and let me know. Also, uh, within the church, some of you know, most of you know, some of you don't. Our mission for Bible school was to help bring uh, baby Sarah home from China. We have a couple in our church uh, who are adopting a baby from China. If you'd like more information about what a mission that is to bring a child that has no chance and no hope uh, in China that's been discarded, to bring them to, to the United States bring them here where they'll be raised in a house that fears the Lord and a church that honors God and teaches the ways of the Lord. Uh, we can share more information with you, but in light of that, uh, there's going to be a spaghetti supper 
uh, July the 15th that will be here at the church. There are tickets available for that. I think it's $25 for your entire family to eat. Uh, and any donation you wish to give above that, obviously, uh, would be graciously accepted. But if you'd like a ticket, please see uh, Brian and uh, or Aaron, Eric, Emily, Liette, myself, uh, Adam, Mandy, uh, Tim, Kathy, uh, any, any of those uh, you can get a ticket for that. I'd, I'd, just, I'd like to ask you to pray about what God would have you to do. It truly is a mission opportunity that we have. We're going to have a great opportunity to, to bring a little girl into this church and teach her about Jesus. And I'm excited about that opportunity. There are also T-shirts available. Uh, you may have seen Adam and Mandy today sporting the, the gray T-shirt. It's a cool-looking shirt. They're 20 bucks, uh, And so I wanted to let you guys know that that was available as well. That was four minutes. You didn't start timing me yet. Now you can start timing me. I'll preach for three hours starting now. So as we dive into our message this morning, uh, this week we celebrate independence as a country. We celebrate Independence Day Tuesday, our, our freedom as a country, the day that we shoot the fireworks and we raise the flag and we wear our shirts, our red, white, and blue, and we talk about our independence as a country. And I want to just say this morning as, as we meet this weekend prior to Independence Day that that is something that we should never take for granted as a people in America. That is something we should never take for granted as a church in America is that we do have that freedom. We may not always agree with the decisions made by our government per se. We may not even agree with who is in our government per se. We may not ever get on the same page about who the president and who the congressman and who the senators and who the house and who, I don't know who all they are. We may not even ever get on the same page about who they are or what they do. But at the end of the day, what we can get on the same page with is that we have the freedom to gather in this place this morning. We can get together in this place. And I'll have you know that I have never prayed prior to, I prayed for a lot of things in the week leading up to service, but I've never had to pray, God, don't let the government come in and shut us down this week. That's something I've never had to pray. None of you have ever had to pray that. So we have a lot to be thankful for as a church in this country in America today. No one is going to come and put us in prison for praising Jesus together this morning. No one told me whether or not I could have another child when Liette and I decided to have another child. Somebody should have, but nobody told us. <laughs> nobody told me what, what profession that I should pursue as a career. Nobody told you what you had to do as a career. And so we have a lot to be thankful for. So my prayer is that as we pray for our country, that we would always remember first a prayer of thanksgiving. Because despite what we don't have or don't agree with, we have a lot. But also a prayer that we would move forward in the ways of the Lord. And so as we turn in John chapter 21 this morning, John chapter 21, and we're going to be talking about a different type of freedom. We're going to look at a section of scripture titled in most of your Bibles as the restoration of Peter. We'll be in verses 15 through 19 primarily. John 21, 15 through 19. And in most Bibles it's called the restoration of Peter. And in this restoration of Peter we get an image of something that for anyone who has experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ in their lives... They have experienced a restoration the same as Peter was being restored here. Peter was given freedom from his bondage that had held him back as a result of his sin. And for anyone who has experienced salvation, you too have experienced that freedom from the bondage of your sin. And in fact, there are only really 
Two types of people living in this world. Those who have experienced that freedom and those who still live in the bondage of their sin. And so this morning, if you're someone who's never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray that sometime today Jesus will prick your heart, convict your soul, and that you will accept that gift of His grace. But if you have, I want to call your attention to a few things that happened in the Apostle Peter's life right here in this section of Scripture that we would do well to remember ourselves as we stand to honor the reading of the Gospel of John, chapter 21. We will read verse 9 and then verses 15 through 19. Beginning in verse 9. Then, as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and a fish laid on it and bread. Verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself, walked where you wished. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands. Another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And this he spoke, signifying what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Let us pray. Father God, we pray for what only you can do. And that is for your Holy Spirit to be among us this morning, Lord God. God, we pray that we would hear a word from you about restoration this morning, about the purpose for which we were restored, Lord God. We pray that lives would be changed, that we would draw nearer to you, that we would submit to your will, Lord God. And it's in your precious name that we do pray. And all God's children said, and you may be seated. As we look into our text this morning and the subject, restored for a purpose. Restored for a purpose. And I want us to remember one thing as we, as we navigate through this text. And that is this, if you were saved, if you've been restored, if you've gotten your salvation, if you've been freed from the burden of sin, you were saved for a purpose. You weren't saved to stay where you were. You weren't saved to stay like you were, to live the way you lived and be the way you were and think the way you thought. You were saved for a purpose. And I want us to keep that in mind. That's kind of the overlying subject this morning is that we are restored for a purpose. And as we get into verse 9, uh, we're going to look at our first thing and that is that there is a, a reminder of the scene before, a reminder of our past so to speak. Verse 9, we see that he's talking about a fire. He says as soon as they come to land, they saw a fire of coals there. Now if you just read through that really quick, you would think, okay, Jesus built a fire on which to cook some fish. And you're right, Jesus had a fire there. He had caused them to, you remember the story, they were fishing and catching no fish. Jesus from the shore said, hey, cast your nets on the right side. He cast the nets out. Suddenly they had 153 fish in the net, more than they could really even tow in. They couldn't believe it. They're pulling those fish on. They realize that it's Jesus on the shore and, and he's building this fire of coals there. And if you read that really quickly, you'll just say, Jesus was being a good kitchen caddy. He was being a good chef. He was preparing the fire for the fish that were coming in. And that would be a good part of the story. But I want you to notice that he he gets very descriptive with his fire here. He says, it's a fire of coals there. 
a fire of coals. You say, well, now why does that matter? Well, let me tell you why it matters. There are only two times in the Holy Writ of Scripture where it specifically mentions a fire made of coals. So that tells me that there must be a real reason why they specifically mention this type of fire. The other place in Scripture that it mentions a fire made of coals is in John chapter 18, verse 18. You don't have to turn back there, but if you want to make a note, you can. That's the other place in Scripture that this particular fire is mentioned. John 18, 18. That's where Peter is gathered with the soldiers and it says he's warming his hands on a fire made of coals. Two mentions of this specific fire. And remember what Peter was doing in the other mention of this type of fire. Remember while he gathered around this fire made of coals because his hands were cold, he was warming his hands, and you'll remember that he smack dab in the middle of the second time that he would deny Jesus Christ. Come on, you remember the story, right? Jesus said to him, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter being so zealous, so in love with Jesus. Jesus, I love you too much to ever betray you or deny you. Jesus, I will never deny you. It will never happen. It will not happen. Jesus said before the cock crows three times it will happen. Peter warms his hands by the fire of coals and for the second time they look to him and they say, were you with the man from Galilee? Absolutely not. No idea who that man is. I don't know Jesus. Think about that. As Peter gathers with Jesus, he has to have that burden of his sin on his mind, doesn't he? He hasn't had an opportunity since Jesus' resurrection to really get alone with Jesus and apologize, has he? He hasn't been able to say, Jesus, I'm sorry for, for doing what you said I was going to do. I'm sorry I didn't love you the way I was supposed to love you. Imagine the fire of coals. I don't think it's coincidental that it's mentioned that it's Peter would smell the coals burning. You've, you've smelled a charcoal fire, haven't you? They have a smell, don't they? Sticks with you, doesn't it? And as Peter came up to eat his breakfast face to face with the Jesus whom he had denied, whom he had seen die, who he had seen rose again, I can't help but think that it was a reminder for Peter of the sin in his life that he had committed denying Jesus Christ. Look with me too at the questions that Jesus would ask him through 15 through 19, 15 through 18, really. He says, do you love me? Three times he says, do you love me? I don't believe there's any coincidence there that Jesus three times asked him, do you love me? And each time Peter had to answer with that stench in his nostrils. He had to think about the three times that he denied Jesus. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? And then it says in verse 17 that Peter was grieved as he answered, Lord, you know all things. And you know that I love you. And I believe that there are a lot of emotions attached to why Peter was grieved in verse 17. We'll discuss another in just a moment. But I believe part of it had to be, if you'll just imagine that scene with me as Peter gathers by the seashore and all those smells of that fire and that glow of that fire and those questions ringing in his ears, do you love me? Yes. But do you love me? Yes. But do you love me? I can't just imagine Peter as he became so grieved remembering three times I betrayed this man. And now three times he asks me, do I love him? 
Think about that with me. You know, for some of us, we tend to forget that we've been restored. We get, we get saved. We get baptized. We go to church. We teach Sunday school. Uh, we go to Sunday school. We go to Wednesday night Bible study. We have prayer group. While we're even on the text message chain for prayer so that when somebody gets sick in the church, we get the text message to stop and pray for them. But what we fail to do too often as Christians is we fail to remember that there was a time in our lives where essentially we could smell the fire of hell. There was a time in our lives where we were doomed and damned for hell, and that was what we deserved. We forget that the fate that we deserved and earned was, was an eternity separated from God. But for the grace of God in our lives, just like the grace of God in the life of Peter here. Jesus didn't have to restore Peter. He didn't have to go to him and forgive him. He didn't have to corner him out. Jesus could have ascended straight to heaven and never stopped to talk to the disciples and he would have already done more for them than they deserved. The same as if he would left you in your sin-bound, hell-bound state, you would have gotten exactly what you deserved. But for the grace of God, he saved you. And it would do a lot of us a lot of good to remember that there was a time in our lives when we didn't have Jesus. There was a time in our lives where we were hell-bound and sin raw. He said, well, why would it do us good to remember that? I want to remember the joy of my salvation, absolutely, but I want other people to experience the joy of their salvation. And one of the reasons as Christians that we fail to share the gospel too often is because we fail to remember that somebody had to share the gospel with us. We fail to remember that apart from somebody telling us about Jesus, we'd still be bound and doomed. And if we would just remember that, how much more likely would we be to say, they deserve that as well. They deserve this grace as well in their lives. We might be more inclined to serve the Lord with a little more passion and a little more zeal, a little more fervor, if we would only remember the scene of our lives before our restoration. And that's why I say we need to be reminded. Look at what Peter does after this. Peter was not the same guy after he was restored by Jesus as he was before. Because in that grace that he received from Jesus, Peter then began to realize that I extend that grace to others. I preach to others. I teach others. Peter would preach the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit would descend. He would preach to the Gentiles when the Holy Spirit would descend again upon them. He would be used mightily by God after this restoration. And oh, how we would be used by God if we would only remember what we had before we had Jesus. So there's a scene that is to be remembered, but also this morning there is a raising of a question. Verses 15 through 17, we've already referenced it once. But Jesus asks Peter what is really a simple question, doesn't he? Do you love me? This shouldn't be a difficult question to answer. Really? I mean, boyfriends and girlfriends have been asking themselves this question since the fifth grade. Do you love me? Parents and children have been asking themselves this question since the beginning of time. Spouses ask themselves this question all the time. Do you love me? We ask our children, do you love me? Just because we like to hear them say that they love us. Maybe we're the only parents that do that, but we do that. Do you love me? A simple question, and the answer should be simple, isn't it? Do you love me? I love you. Very simple, but... 
on the surface it looks simple, but as Jesus is asking Peter this question, why does he have to ask him three times? Was it just to remind him of his sin, or is there something more there? And I think if we we look just a little deeper, we'll see that there's a little more than, than meets the eye. Look with me in verse 15. They had eaten breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now, when he says, do you love me, in the English, we just see, do you love? We've only got one word for love, and we encompass any type of love with that one word. And I don't normally dive too far into the Greek, but it completely changes the meaning of this text when you look at the original translation. In verse 15, Jesus says to Peter, do you agape love me? All right, everybody knows the Greek word agape. Don't pretend like I'm teaching you something there. Every Christian has heard agape before, but but Jesus is saying to Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me totally. When he says that, he's saying, do you love me completely, sacrificially, with all you are, with all your hope, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, all you are, it's all your faith, all your trust, the completion of you, is it in me? Do you have a complete love for me, Peter? And then in verse 16, he asks him the same question. Peter, do you agape love me? Do you totally love me, Peter? And then in verse 17, it changes. He asks him differently. He says, do you love me? But he uses the word phileo there. He uses a different word for love. And that word means, do you love me like a brother, basically? Do you have a deep friendship and brotherly love for me? So why did Jesus' question change by verse 17? Do you totally love me, Peter? You know I love you, Jesus. Do you totally love me, though, Peter? You know I love you, Jesus. Uh, Peter, do do you love me at least... Like a brother. Do you love me at least like a brother? So why did it change? Well, the the answer to that question, I believe, lies in the answers that Peter would give to Jesus. Verse 15, do you totally love me, Peter? And on the surface, when we look at the response, we see an affirmation of love from Peter. But when you look at what Peter replies, really, he says, Jesus says, do you totally love me? And Peter says, Jesus, you know I love you like a brother. Uses a different word. They had two different words to use, and he responds differently. So then he asks him a second time, do do you totally love me, Peter? Jesus, you know that I love you like my brother. And so that by the time we get to the end, Jesus changes his question. Peter, do you at least love me like a brother? See, when you look at it in the English, it looks like Peter is affirming his love for Jesus with his answers. But in reality, what Peter is doing is he's admitting that he doesn't love Jesus the way he should. He doesn't love Jesus the way Jesus is asking him if he loves him. Jesus says, do you totally love me? And Peter says, "Ah, I love you, Jesus. But I I don't think I have that love for you yet, Jesus. And so Peter is responding not with an affirmation, but with a confession, essentially. Jesus, I don't love you totally yet. I, don't, I haven't given all of me to all of you yet. I haven't given you every fiber of my being yet, Jesus. And it says that Peter is grieved in verse 17. Remember I told you we were going to look at a couple of reasons why Peter was grieved. And I believe that one of the reasons that Peter was grieved was because he remembered his sin. But I think another reason that Peter is grieved is because he recognizes deep down 
that he doesn't love Jesus the way he's supposed to. He doesn't have the same commitment to Jesus that Jesus has to him. Now I believe that the old Peter, you remember Peter before, right? Jesus said, you'll deny me. No, no way, Jesus. I love you too much for that, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I'm yours, Jesus. Why, I slice the ear off the man that comes to take you, Jesus. I'll never deny you, Jesus. But I think this Peter on the other side, as he comes to his restoration, Jesus says, do you totally love me? And the old Peter would have said, absolutely. But the new Peter said, not the way I'm supposed to. Jesus, I don't have for you what I'm supposed to have. If I'm being honest, I've I've only learned to love you like a brother. And it grieved Peter that when he was asked this question, he couldn't affirm the love that he wanted to have for Jesus because he had to confess the love that he really had for Jesus. This morning, as we gather together, we need not lose sight and remembrance of who we were before Jesus, but we need not fail to ask ourselves the same question as Christians. Because it's important that we examine ourselves every once in a while, that we look at ourselves and we say, do I love Jesus with everything I am? Do I totally love Jesus? If Jesus were to come to me and remind me of my past and then ask me if I have totally loved him, if I have totally given my life to him, could I honestly affirm that question? Could I honestly say, yes, Jesus, I have given it all to you. I don't want anything of my own anymore. I want to give it all to you. I want to follow you completely. Or would we, like Peter, have to answer, Jesus, I love you because you're my Savior. Jesus, I love you because I feel affection for you. But Jesus, I still love myself and my own desires a little more, if I'm being honest. Jesus, I still want what I want more than I want what you want. You see, our love and our affection for Christ should be deeper and stronger and more passionate and more intense than any other love we have on this earth. Any other love that you have should be far superseded by your love for Jesus Christ. That means you love Jesus more than you love your spouse, more than you love your parents, more than you love your children, Jesus should be the central object of all of your affection. In fact, your love for anyone else should be a filtered result of your love for Jesus Christ. You want to know how to truly love your spouse? Love Jesus first. You want to know how to truly love your children? Love Jesus first. You want to know how to truly love your parents? Love Jesus first. All of our love, all of our focus, all of our affection should be on Christ first. So there's a scene that's to be remembered. There's a question that is to be raised. And finally, there's a reason for our restoration. A reason for our restoration. As we look at each question for Jesus and each answer from Peter, we see that that following that question and answer, Jesus says something else to him. First, he says, feed my lambs. Second, he says, tend to my sheep. And finally, he says, feed my sheep. And so he, he gives him, so he said, do you love me? You know I love you then do something, Peter. Then there's something that there is for you to do. And each time he says something just a little bit different. First he says, feed my lambs. Watch my lambs. The idea is that of a shepherd 
that would go out and find the young lambs that had not yet learned to stay within the fold. And so the idea would be to go out and gather those and bring them in. That's the language that Jesus uses here. Go out, feed my lambs, my baby lambs, the little ones. Feed them, take care of them, bring them in. And the idea that he's given Peter here when he says that, he says, if you love me, then you'll go tell people about me and bring them closer to me. You'll go get the young ones and you'll put them under your protection and you'll love them and you'll gird them up and you'll tell them about my ways and you'll bring them in. And then Jesus a second time, Peter, do you love me? And he says to him, then tend my sheep. Now this word that he uses for tend is the same word that we get for pastor. The same word for pastor is what Jesus says. He essentially says to Peter, Peter, if you love me, then pastor my sheep. The more mature believers, those who believe in me, those who know me, not the new believers, not the new sheep, but the ones who are a little older, pastor them, take care of them, protect them, lead them like a shepherd does his sheep. Keep them close to you, protect them from the wolves and the bears and all of the things that look to come in and devour and divide them. Peter, take care of those who are in the fold already. Pastor them and care for them. And then the third time he says to him, then feed my sheep. Literally the idea, in addition to taking care of the believers, Peter, you're also supposed to feed them and make them grow and get healthier and bigger and stronger. The idea, I think, is clear that Peter, in addition to bringing the believers together and protecting them, he was also to feed them and nourish them on the word and the ways of God that they might grow and become stronger. You say, well, what does that really all mean, Pastor, to me? We're, we're not in the days of Peter. Jesus isn't building a fire on the, the shores right now. We're in Lebanon, Tennessee in 2017. What does, what does all that mean to me? Well, what it really means, I believe, is that if you have been restored... It was for a purpose. If you have been restored, it was for a reason. There is something more for you to do. We're to be out making new disciples, feeding the new sheep, gathering them together. We're to be gathering together with one another, watching out and caring for one another, leading one another, protecting one another. But we're also supposed to be feeding one another. That's the idea of discipleship. I know that's a big word. It gets thrown around in churches all the time. Every pastor I've ever known says, well, what's your method of discipleship? Everybody's got a, a notebook and a three-ring binder and a class and a 13-step book that they've got about discipleship in the church. But at the end of the day, can I tell you what discipleship in the church really means? It means that if you know Jesus, you should be pouring into somebody else about Jesus. And if you know Jesus, somebody should be pouring into you about Jesus. No matter where you're at on your journey, if you're a more mature believer, you should be pouring into a younger believer. If you're a younger believer, you should be seeking out someone to pour into you that you might learn more about the ways of the Lord and be discipled. It's not a complicated process. I could make a 13-step program, but at the end of the day, it would be looked like this. Hey, man, you want to go have some coffee and talk about Jesus? If you want me to put that in a binder and hand it to everybody, I will. And it doesn't, if you don't like coffee, it doesn't have to be coffee. It can be breakfast or lunch or whatever. You want to go hang out with me a minute and let's talk about Jesus? It's not difficult. 
But it's essential to growing because we are created as beings that are to be pouring into someone and as to have someone pouring into us. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, you can still learn something. If you don't know how to go about starting this process, you don't know who to connect with, you don't know who you need to pour into, let me know. I'll find you somebody. There are plenty of people in this church who need to be in some one-on-one relationships with someone else. Because it's not just good for you if you're doing the, the, the leading or the teaching. It's good for both of you as you learn, as you pour into somebody. You have been restored for a purpose. That simply means if you've been saved, that there is work for you to do for the kingdom of God. There's work for you to do for the kingdom of God. Now for everybody, that looks different. That looks different for Liette than it does for me. It looks different for me than it does Brian. It looks different for Brian than it does Mr. Bo. It looks different for Bo than it does for Irvin. It looks different for everybody. Let's be clear. I'm not saying that we're cookie cutters and I can create a program that every person fits into because you have a unique past that brought you to this place. You have something special to offer the kingdom of God because of your past, your present, your future, your ways, your thoughts. They all bring you to something different, but we all have something to do. There is not one person who is saved to stay where they are and not disciple someone and not pour into someone. We were saved to work for the kingdom of God. So while it looks different for everyone, for no one, it it looks like sitting still. There's not one of us that were saved to just sit still and do nothing. And so how do we respond this morning? First, I think this message is for someone who needs to ask themselves, do I love Jesus completely? Do I love Jesus completely. Maybe you need to come this morning and spend some time committing to Jesus, laying aside whatever it is that you've allowed to take your affections apart from him. Can can I just tell you something this morning? Anything that has your affection before Jesus has your affection is an idol. It doesn't have to be a, a graven image of Baal in order to be an idol. Your job can be an idol, your hobbies can be an idol, your kids can be an idol, even your spouse can be an idol if you allow your affection for it to come before your affection for Christ. So maybe somebody this morning needs to come and lay that idol down at the feet of Jesus. Say, I'm not going to worship that idol anymore, I'm going to worship you, Jesus, first. I'm going to commit Jesus to loving you deeper, I want to know how to love you more. Somebody here needs not just to commit to loving Jesus But you know that that you need to be pouring into somebody. As I spoke the words about discipleship, you thought to yourself, I'm not taking part in that right now. I'm not doing anything to pour into anybody. And I have something to offer because I've been saved. Maybe you're here and you heard that and you said, I've recently gotten saved. Or since I've gotten saved, I've never really been discipled by anyone. I've never submitted myself to that. I've never said, I want to learn how to to study the Bible better. I want to learn how to pray better. I want to learn how to live for Jesus better. And I've never done that. Won't you come this morning and take that step? Lay that down. Commit to Jesus. You know, the first step to doing anything is to say you're going to do it. Won't you come and say, Jesus, I'm going to disciple someone. I'm going to find someone to disciple me. And if you want me to help you connect those lines, I would be honored to do that. I know plenty of people on both sides that would fit the bill. Just let me know after church today. I'll put you together with somebody. Maybe you need to commit to Jesus that I'm going to love you completely and lay down my idols. Maybe you need to say, Jesus, I'm going to submit to your discipleship. I'm going to learn to live more for you. But maybe you're here this morning 
And as I've preached, you said to yourself, I've never been set free of my bondage. I've never really gotten past the place where my sin controlled my life. I've never really gotten to the place where I've sat at Jesus' feet and answered the question of, do you love me? I've never committed to Christ. I've never been saved. I've never followed him. Won't you come this morning and let go of the bondage that holds you back and say, Jesus, I want to follow you completely, and I want to be yours. Let us pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you so much for your word, Lord, for your mercy, for your wisdom, for your truth, Lord God. Most importantly, Lord God, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for restoration, Lord God. And that while we were sinners, you loved us enough to die for us, Lord Jesus. And that we too can be saved. We don't have to live in the bondage of our sin, Lord God. But God, for so many in this house this morning, if they had to honestly answer the question, is my affection on you first, Jesus? They would have to answer it, no. God, give them the conviction and the courage to come lay down their idols at your feet. Lord, let us cast down our idols that we may raise up in your spirit and in your truth. And Lord God, for those here who say, I need to be pouring into somebody, or somebody needs to be pouring into me, I need to learn how to live for you better, Jesus. Give them the courage to come and make that commitment this morning to follow you, Lord God. God, you change lives in this place because we realize that nothing a preacher says and nothing a musician sings can change lives, but it's only by your Holy Spirit, God. So let your spirit roam free in this invitation. It's in your heavenly name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.